We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Knicks Film School pregame show. My name is Andrew Claudio, a.k.a. GMAC, and it's time to preview the Knicks' upcoming matchup on Friday night against the Atlanta Hawks down in Atlanta with a player's play in the home opener at State Farm Arena for the Atlanta Hawks. Not so much of a brand new Hawks team or a new look Hawks team since the last time the Knicks played them they do have a different look because they have a different coach Quinn Snyder the former Utah Jazz coach is now the coach of the Atlanta Hawks in fact the last time the Knicks played the Hawks and I bring this up with my guests in just a second but it was the last game of the Nate McMillan tenure it was the game before the all-star break Knicks had just traded for Josh Hart the Knicks were clicking on all cylinders and as we remember were on the ascent and the Hawks looked like a team that had quit on their coach. And in a home game uh, that was non-competitive, the Knicks uh, ran rough shot over the Atlanta Hawks, which forced them to reevaluate some things over the All-Star break and get a new coach. So first time the Knicks are playing the Hawks in the Quinn Snyder era. They still have Trey Young. They still have DeJounte Murray. John Collins isn't there anymore, but Sadiq Bey now has the primary power forward position. They also have a stud named Jalen Johnson off the bench. Uh, they're coming off a loss to the Charlotte Hornets on opening nights, uh, a game that I, I watched on Thursday afternoon. You, you know, sometimes you look at the box score and you you can really judge how a player performed. I got to say, Trey Young shot four of 19 in this game. Couldn't hit a three. Couldn't hit a two for that matter. Was still extremely impactful in that fourth quarter. Did have 23 points. Did have nine assists. Was 14 of 15 at the line. It's always going to be how he's able to still be productive. Uh, on that team because he just he can get to the line whenever he wants, it seems. And I, I found himself to be more productive uh, to the Hawks uh, than what a box score like that would read. Uh, it's still a four of 19 night, though. So he's obviously looking to come back with a better shooting performance. The Hawks were five of 29 from three in this game as well. So they didn't take a ton of threes, but they also didn't make a ton of threes. In this game, we'll see what they do against the Knicks defense and their drop coverage. I'm curious to see if the Knicks can come off what can be looked at as an encouraging performance, but can also be looked at as a disappointing performance. Uh, We can only hope that Julius and... 
Jalen Brunson to shoot better than 11 for 43 from the field. Uh, joining me in just a second is going to be Alex of Hawks Fan TV. He's become a friend of mine. I recognize that some of you on the internet, specifically Twitter.com, and I'm not calling it X.com, uh, have had run-ins with him in the past, and you may not be his biggest fan. Uh, I've got to know him somewhat informally, but it's the before and after conversations of a podcast. I think you really get to know somebody. Uh, seems like a good guy. Um, got some really good stuff going on in his personal life that I think are... I, I don't know how much I could divulge, but I'm just going to say congratulations to Alex. Uh, point being, I think you're going to enjoy this conversation when you peel back the Twitter layers and actually get to talk coops with him. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Alex of Hawks Fan TV. Enjoy! Alex, welcome back to Nick's Film School, sir. Yeah, thank you, Andrew. Appreciate it. Uh, glad to be back. Um, yeah, Sean is good peoples over there. One, one of the, the few Knicks fans that I rock with. Uh, but no, Sean, Sean's cool. Love him. Much love to him and said and, and the rest of the team at, uh, over there. And, and of course, shout out to uh, KFS for, for letting me on the show. Of course. And it's funny that the Knicks-Hawks rivalry, if it still is one, that started a couple of years ago in the playoffs that I listen Sean, it's more of a report back to me type of thing with Sean with the, the, the Twitter arguments that go on. There's a, a Trey young Jalen Brunson, DeJounte Murray. I know Halliburton gets thrown in there too. I think they're all like really good young guards and that's like probably my take. There's a tier and they're all really good in that tier. Uh, but uh, the back and forth gets, gets fun of course. And so to the Knicks fans that are watching this, I promise you if my vouch matters for anything, I enjoyed my conversation with Alex the last time he was here. And I'm going to assume because you're looking at my hat, you're a Braves fan too. Is it all Atlanta for you? Ah, uh, okay. oh, of course. Yeah, that's my uh, signed Javi Lopez plaque. Uh, oh one of the greatest gosh. pitchers of all time. So yeah, I'm a Braves fan. Um, sorry for the, the the Mets again, not not making the playoffs this year. So hold on, uh, hold on. You should have ended your sentence at "I'm sorry for the Mets." <laughs> Believe yeah, tough, me, it's <laughs> been a completely different direction this year than when you spend more money on a team than anybody else. Um, but I will. I've made a promise to our listeners that would stop talking about baseball, and I made it two minutes into this podcast before I broke that promise. But let's talk about this matchup between the Knicks and the Hawks, specifically this basketball team that you're a fan of that you cover that has a bit of a new look to them, but it's more since the last time the Knicks saw the Hawks, which if you go back to last year, the final game before the all-star break, I believe was the last time the Knicks and Hawks played. And it was also the last time that Nate McMillan was the head coach of the Atlanta Hawks. And I, we were doing a, a playback watch party that night and the biggest takeaway we had from watching the game is like, this is a team that's quit on its coach. If I could take you back to that moment, do you have that same interpretation? Was it, it, Did I nail that? That it was like definitely the end of the road by that point with the head coach? Yeah. And I think it was, uh, it, it's been brewing since like pretty much like after like the 20th game of the season last year. Uh, and then I, you know, I was one of the first to report like on the fact that uh, Trey got in a, Pretty, pretty heated verbal argument with with Nate McMillan, which resulted in Trey pretty much uh, leaving practice early that day. And then, of course, Nate uh, sat him out for like the next game, uh, pretty much didn't play him. So he was wearing street clothes. And then ever since that moment, 
kind of went downhill from there. Uh, but it, w- it wasn't even just Trey. That's the crazy part. And I know Trey gets like this label or has gotten this label about he's a coach killer. You know, he, he ran Lloyd Pierce out of town, who was a horrendous coach, like literally by far the worst probably NBA basketball basketball coach of all time. Like that's not even an exaggeration of all time. Um, OK, yeah. First time head coach Lloyd Pierce, just terrible. Uh, every single player. Uh, from what I know, disliked Lloyd Pierce just because he had zero respect for the entire team. So that was a wash. And then Nate McMillan takes over. Uh, we make that ECF run. And then everyone's like, oh, Nate McMillan's this great coach. That was the first time he's ever you know, gotten past the first round in his whole coaching career. And you know, I always attribute that to the fact that Lloyd Pierce was gone. Nate took over and you know, you and I could have been on the sidelines that that year and we could have taken the team to DCF too. It was they caught lightning in a bottle and they were playing to basically avenge and and make a point that Lloyd Pierce was holding them back. But yeah, you know, Nate, not the best coach in the world. He's been fired at every single tenure he's been to. Uh, I appreciate what he's done. But, you know, Quinn Snyder, the Quinn Snyder era has begun. I'm excited. It's unfortunate that we lost the first game of the season. But uh, I'm I'm very optimistic about this this season and this team, so I'm I'm excited. Yeah, well, we'll talk about not necessarily the Charlotte game because I did watch the game this afternoon, and I, this is why you need to watch tape. Trey actually didn't play as bad as the box score would have would have said. I know he shot poorly. I know he shot poorly, and the turnovers killed you. But like, you get to the line 15 times, you're still a weapon. And that fourth yeah. quarter, he a couple of his shots were short. I looked like a, the entire team's couple shots were short. But I thought I was expecting to turn into a tune into a train wreck. And it, from my perspective, it wasn't that. But we'll talk about that in a second. I want to stay with the, the coaching conversation that we're having because the, the uptick that you got with Nate McMillan that you're talking about that then went back down to then Quinn Snyder. So to the uneducated Knicks fan, what's different about the Hawks? They're about a 500 team after the coaching change was made. And then, you know, you, you have that playing game against the Heat that was really impressive. And then you take Boston to six and there's obviously expectations. What is different about the Hawks now after the coaching change? Yeah, I think we're just going to see a, a lot more higher, uh, faster paced offense. So a lot more up-tempo, a lot more threes being taken Nate McMillan is is known for running a very kind of prehistoric type of offense. Uh, his whole, uh, I guess, game plan is to hunt mismatches and really settle for like good range, good mid range shots. Um, and in today's modern NBA, like, you know, threes are obviously much more, you know, greater than twos. And that's kind of Quinn's, Quinn's mentality, right? He wants a high flying offense, up tempo, get out in transition and kind of, you know, score easy buckets in transition and also shoot a lot of threes, space the court and let our shooter shoot. Um, and that was kind of the thing that held us back last year, I think, is, is our offense was very much ISO one-on-one style play, right? You know, it was either <laughs> his turn, my turn with Trey Young and DeJounte Murray, and they would kind of work in isolation and then, you know, either drive to the paint, hit the open man, or they would just, you know, make a shot and create a shot for themselves. Uh, we saw preseason, the Quinn Snyder offense, a lot more off-ball movement. Trey was more involved in off-ball and everyone was getting touches. That's what I noticed. A lot of people were getting touches uh, in every single possession. It wasn't just, oh, you inbound the ball, Trey dribbles it up full court, and then he he makes one pass or shoots, and that's pretty much the entire offense, right? Or DeJounte. Uh, in preseason, we saw a lot more ball movement. 
everyone getting touches. And we also saw our athletic big men actually initiate the offense from like the top of the key or off a missed rebound or, or, or uh, off an inbound pass. So that's something that we haven't seen. It's usually always been Trey or DeJounte kind of uh, bringing the ball up the court. But Jalen Johnson, uh, you know, Sadiq Bay, et cetera, these guys are moving the ball, bringing the ball up court and initiating that offense. And I think we're going to see a lot of that this coming season. And I think it also comes down to trust. You know, Jalen Johnson is a young player. Not many people probably know him just yet, but he's a 6'9", like 230-pound athletic four that can dribble, pass, and playmate. He's, just, he's very identical to Ben Simmons, in my opinion, with his play style. Um, but he just – he's not soft like Ben Simmons. So I'm excited for Jalen. Um, and I think you're just going to see an offense that moves the ball more, a lot more off-ball movement, and a lot more threes. We shot a lot of threes last night. Unfortunately, we just couldn't hit them. A lot of open looks. Uh, we took 29 threes and only made five threes. So that, that was unfortunate. Um, but if, if we made even just five more of those wide open looks, it would have been a pretty comfortable win. Uh, but here we are. So I think first game jitters, we'll see, we'll see what happens the rest of the season. So your point about Jalen Johnson, 21 points on 13 shots for Knicks fans that didn't watch the game, which I'm assuming is everybody but me. Um, but the point being, I, I did notice the, the everybody gets to touch the ball type of uh, aspect to the to the offense. I, um, you know, uh, Sadiq Bay, I noticed was was a lot more involved. It seemed like he had an athletic play every every other Time I would look up and stuff from, from my notes and be like, oh, Sadiq Bay made a nice play. That's nice. Um, you know, Bogdanovich off the bench, he he's still getting his his opportunity. So I'm I'm curious against the Knicks type of like guard the rim um drop coverage, how that's gonna factor in uh in this matchup, which you know we'll see on on Friday night. Uh before we we wrap up or not wrap up with the coaching talk, but more transition into some talk about your players, I want to get an overall perspective from you and I don't want to pin you as like you're gonna speak on behalf of every Hawks fan that exists but you're the, the face of Hawks fan TV so I think you can get a give me a good pulse what's a disappointing season look like this year because I know that there's a lot of expectations like the Knicks have expectations some like Bobby Marks picks us to go to the finals everyone on our staff picked us fourth or fifth right so with the Hawks I'd imagine you have high expectations but what does disappointment look like I think disappointment would definitely be like another sub 500 type of season, right? Even if we just finish like two or three games above 500, I think that's a pretty big disappointment from, from the expectations that we have. Hmm. And of course, anything like worse than a six seed is a, is a big disappointment in my opinion, in my opinion, you know, uh, people at, uh, at Hawks fan TV, we, we had a season prediction article that just came out in the, um, the morning of yesterday and all of us pretty much had us at minimum at like 47, 48 type of win season. Um, I predicted we would have 53 wins and we'd be a top four seed. I think I had us right at four. And um, yeah, I think it, you look at the last two years, Andrew, playing last year, playing the year before that, and then the year before that, we we had that ECF run. So um, to quote my good man, Sean, uh, progression is never linear, right? So progression is not always linear. We had high hopes coming off that ECF run and then fell off in the plane and then it got gentlemen swept by the heat. And then last year, we know better performance. We took Boston to six, won a couple of games. Trey Hung uh, kind of went back to his playoff mode self, averaging like 31 points for that series. So uh, I, I don't expect us to be in the plane again. 
Um, I think with uh, uh, an elite coach, in my opinion, in Quinn Snyder, we have now kind of everything, all the pieces. I'm not saying I don't think the Hawks are good enough to contend just yet. I think we still need maybe one more piece, but we're certainly with the coaching and the players that we have now. I think we should be able to get at least a top five seed at minimum. Um, we had talent in previous years, but we just didn't have that coaching piece. And now that we have a good coaching, uh, good coach and a good staff and still retain most of our talented players, I think it should be a top five seed at minimum. Anything worse than that should be a, a disappointment, in my opinion. So I just pulled up my preseason predictions. I have the Hawks sixth. So if my predictions come true, it's a disappointing season, you're saying, even if the Eastern Conference is pretty crowded. No, I mean, even if we finished at six, I wouldn't consider that a big disappointment, especially if it's like, the, you know, the top five are really, really good. And they're all like 51 teams or more than 51 win teams. And, you know, the Hawks are at like 49 or 50 wins. No, I wouldn't consider that a disappointment. Um, but if, if we're in the play-in, then yes. Like if we're a seven seed and or, or below, then that's a that's a that's a disappointment. Absolutely. So let's play this out. They get in the play-in again this year and like say they're the seven seed. They win the seven, eight game and it's a gentleman sweep against Boston or Milwaukee. Right. What happens with the Hawks? Because I like it's game one. So it's tough to play out that scenario at 82 games from now. But if you can project a little bit, like how much security does this current roster have? Yeah, I mean, if, if that happens and, you know, we're, we're another playing team and get gentlemen swept in the first round. Uh, yeah, I'd expect some pretty major changes. Uh, I'd, I'd say like probably we're, we'd probably let go of like two starters for, from from that squad. Uh, but again, it's it's still so early in the season. It's really hard to say. Like I can't right, even, right. I can't even fathom us going in the seventh seat again. Like I my mind doesn't comprehend. Oh, that wow. Right so I, I can't even I can't even give a, a what if moment. So then recognize you're on you're on Nick's film school. Give me your top six that you projected for the season. So I think at least in like I think there's clear like tiers in the East right now. I think like the top tier, objectively speaking, would be on paper, at least Milwaukee and Boston. Right. So I would have um, personally, I have the Bucks as the one seed, the Celtics as the second seed. And then that that's tier one. Then you have the tier two teams um, that I would consider like Philadelphia and I'm still not fully bought into Cleveland. I know a lot of people. Really? Are super high. Yeah. Like, you know, they talk about the defense and, and this and that. And Cleveland's a good team. Like, I think they're definitely one of the better teams in the East. But I've seen some people have them as high as like the third seed, maybe even the seventh seed. I saw even uh, another. You mean, guy you mean the second seed? You mean the second seed? Yeah. Yeah. The second yeah. seed. Yeah. Second seed, third seed. Um, but. I, I can't say I'm fully bought in Cleveland. I think they're going to be at least a good regular season team. Uh, I guess I'm kind of using my my playoff bias because I don't think Cleveland's going to do well in the postseason. I think they're going to, mm. if they you know make the playoffs, I think they're going to lose in the first round to whoever they play again. But I think at least for the regular season, yeah, I think they're good enough to make the fourth seed or maybe even the Knicks could make the fourth seed. But I, as far as that second tier after um, Boston and Milwaukee would be Philly, uh, Cleveland, still New Philly, York. by the way, just to not interrupt you, but you still have them yeah. in that tier. Yeah. I mean, it, they still have Joel Embiid. Joel Embiid's a great regular season player. Uh, if you guys have been following me or if anyone that watches this follows my account, um, I'm very low on Joel Embiid come postseason mm -hmm. time. I think he's a great player in the regular season for the first 82 games. And I think him alone with some of their other role players is good enough to get at least like a top four seed. Um, yeah. 
postseason, completely different story. I don't think anyone's worried about Philly and neither should they be. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, Philly, third seed or, or Cleveland, Knicks. And I'm, I'm going to throw the Hawks in there personally. I think the Hawks would be kind of that tier two team that's close to the Knicks and Cleveland and Philly uh, mark. So I think those four teams could finish anywhere from three to, you know, three, four, three to six. And then, then the bottom, the, the tier three teams in that seven, eight, nine range, or actually, I'm sorry, I would throw Miami in there too. I, I forgot about Miami. Um, yeah. So Miami's also up there. And then you got like Indiana, um, who else? Uh, Charlotte or not, not Charlotte, Indiana, um, I think that's the end of the tier, to be honest. Yeah, that's if yeah. you are high in Indiana, like like yeah. I am. But um, yeah, I so we have the same top six. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I'm so fascinated by this Atlanta roster because John Collins. Well, I guess I'll ask you first, what was your reaction to the John Collins trade after years of having him in, in trade talks? So those who can't see that goes on the, on the podcast, two <laughs> thumbs up from Alex yeah. on the John two, Collins. Two trade. thumbs up for me. Um, I think I appreciate him. He's a really cool guy, right? I think JC was actually probably the coolest like interviewer on the team. Mm-hmm. Anyone that I've ever spoken to really cool personality. Wish him the best. But just not just not a good fit anymore, right? Um, can't create his own shot, can't dribble, um, can't back down like six four guard defenders in the post with him being six nine. Uh, so that's unfortunate. And he also shot his, he he lost his three point shooting ability. Um, for up until last year, he was like a career like thirty eight percent three point shooter, respectable, definitely reliable if left open but last year his three-point shot just completely plummeted and then he essentially became like a non-factor on offense um it was bad so i think for both parties it was a good move and and i'm happy and now we had jalen johnson kind of waiting to to get the torch passed over to him and and i'm excited i think jalen johnson's going to ultimately be like three times the player john collins was was for us so game one uh displayed that in, in in all of its in all its glory. I'm I'm curious how the Knicks defend it. Although they, they have some bench options that they can and obviously some elite bench play with Emmanuel quickly and when at times Josh Hart. Um but uh I'm really curious how this matchup uh goes on on Friday night it being the the Hawks home opener as well. Um unfortunately Trey Young does not have to go to the building or for, for, I don't know if it's for you or for me, uh, doesn't have to go to Madison Square Garden this time, which he allegedly owns, if you <laughs> believe a certain narrative. Um, 
Let's talk about Trey Young. Good performances in MSG. I will say he that. has had some good performances. I would like to point out he's under 500 at MSG, but that's like it's not taking away. I just the idea of owning a building like Reggie Miller owned the Garden, even though he lost more than he won at but the what, Garden. What was Trey's playoff record in MSG? Oh yeah, but that, that, that but did Trey Young own the Garden or did everything own Julius Randle in that series? That, that <laughs> like, is true. That yeah. is true. You know, um, let's talk about Trey Young a little bit because it's like it's venom for Knicks fans, I think, to actually acknowledge some of his elite abilities, you know, like his ability to get to the line. I got to I'm going to open up a little bit to you, Alex, as some personal growth I had last year. I used to be one of these haters that said he's just a flopper the way he gets to the line. He's a he's a, a, a. a Scott Foster merchant, you know, he's just baiting people into fouls. It's not basketball. Like the Blasio speaking for us when he's calling him out in the playoffs. And then last year I met a man named Jalen Brunson and saw how he is able to, with his craft, get to the foul line at will. And Julius Randall adopted the same principles and by inertia, I think RJ Barrett and Manuel quickly were able to take advantage of the same skills. And it's, got me to appreciate how Trey Young with his size has to create offense that way. Um, Can it get annoying at times? Yes, but I can't complain about it anymore because my team benefits from the same type of uh, craftiness when it comes to getting to the foul line. Um, My honest evaluation of Trey is that he has such an elite, like an all NBA ceiling, but his shooting sometimes can hold him back because of how inconsistent it can be. My question is, is that a fair assessment? And if I'm off, how would you assess Trey Young after this is what year this is going to be your six for him, right? This would be year six. Yeah. Going into year six. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, th- I think that's pretty fair. Um, I think a lot of people with Trey ever since day one as a rookie, um, you know, a lot of people labeled him as a bust and this and that he's too small and, he, and he's not athletic enough and blah, 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 blah. Um, and then in the in the regular season, like in the in his first two years, like he was, you know, he averaged 30 and 10 in his sophomore season. But then people looked at his his record and it was like, oh, he's just a high volume score on a really bad, you know, non-playoff team, which is fair. Third season comes around. Uh, we make the playoffs. We make the ECF. And uh, he, he averages like 30 and 10 in the postseason. Also, some really historic moments, some great moments, a game winner at MSG and, you know, his his 48 performance against the Bucks. You know, the list goes on. Mm-hmm. And so then it was all about the only thing they could pick on was like, oh, well, he's a bad he's a really bad defender. And he he's, um, you know, he he shoots inefficient. And I and there is definitely some merit to that, Andrew. I think the efficiency certainly needs to be better. Um and it's tough. Like you can't, I can't defend that. There are some nights where he will shoot really poorly and it does hurt this team. Definitely. You know, in the long term, when he's shooting that bad or even not even his shooting percentage, but more so like his shot selection, right? His shot chart, a sharp profile. Uh, a lot of people get onto him for like shooting threes early in the shot clock uh, without a, a single teammate, like under the basket for a potential offensive rebound opportunity. So like those things definitely, you know, aren't, the funnest things to watch. And I think that's probably the biggest criticism that I have as like, as a Hawks fan, but also I'm a big Trey Young fan, obviously you can't see it, but I have a little Trey Young bobblehead, like right, right under here. But um, 
Yeah, I mean, unbiasedly, like objectively speaking, I think Trey's biggest like hindrance is like his his splits and yeah, the the turnovers. So like, um, I think sometimes he he gets in the bad habit of like trying to make some really crazy passes and and a lot of the times they work and you see the highlights all over the place and then sometimes they end up being like not the smartest decisions making that type of pass uh so we'll see what happens i've always said wait till he hits his prime and and wait till he matures his game a little bit uh he is what he's still 24 he just turned 24 in september or 25 i don't remember exactly but he's still young you know he's not even in his prime just yet but i think by this point year six Hopefully those turnovers shrink and he just plays smarter. Um, so I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, rough first game, rough shooting night, but he was still making a lot of passes, playmaking and getting to the line, like you said. And I, I feel like people only look at his his shooting. Like if he's not shooting well, then he's just he's just playing like trash that night. But people forget like how amazing of a playmaker and facilitator Trey Young is um, without any other all star teammates since his since his career. Uh, in Atlanta, he's never had a, a single all-star teammate other than like DeJounte Murray last season for the first time. But he's led the Hawks to top three offenses for the past like three or four years in a row. Uh, and that's all because Trey Young is the engine that makes the car move. And he's setting up his teammates, playmaking, sucking in the defense and, you know, finding his guys for open shots. And there's only like maybe three players on planet Earth that can facilitate and playmake like Trey. Um, so I think a, a lot of that gets swept under the rug because people want to make fun of his defense or his bad shooting. But like people aren't realizing like how great of a passer he is. Like he's going to be like one of the greatest passers of all time, maybe when it's all said and done. Let's he's a really good passer. I, I can't, I can't go. A <laughs> yeah. L- little optimistic take on, on the, yeah. When, when the words all time get thrown out, I have to, I have to rem- just look at who is in the all time conversation. I'll the best compliment I can give him is that, like you said, we're going into year six and he's been a consistent 25 and nine over the, the portion of his career as a, as a Knicks fan. I like the Jalen Brunson experience has been so great so far that like I just I can appreciate like a, a a guard that can get to the rim and get his create his own shot and at that size still be able to get shots off against against anybody. Like he was get he was taking Porzingis one on one on night one out. The thing that I will give Trey credit for that Jalen Brunson didn't wasn't able to do on night one that Brunson wasn't able to then like affect the game with his passing or get to the line 15 times. And Trey, like I said, shot poorly, but was able to impact the games in other in other ways. Um, so that's like the best compliment I could give him that I've on bad nights that he wouldn't I'll take it I'll on, take on it. nights. He doesn't shoot well. He's still able to play well. Um, the backcourt pairing with DeJounte Murray. Your uh, your eighty two games, a couple playoff games, and a and one opening night game into this experience. Um, how has it worked so far? I think the pairings worked out perfectly fine. Um, I I don't think we had maybe the right personnel last year, nor the coach for a majority of the season to really take full advantage of their skill set. Uh, but I think if I'm not mistaken, there were one of two backcourts in the entire NBA that led that had 20 plus points and more than six assists uh, for your backcourt. So they definitely played their part. Um, I was hoping DeJounte would average a little bit more points, like in that 22 to 24 point per game range. Uh, But, you know, all things considered with Nate McMillan coaching majority of the season, first time with the new team, new teammates, uh, the list goes on. I think all things considered, he played well. Um, Year two, 
full season, full off season with Quinn. Um, you know, he's gotten more comfortable with his, his teammates because for the most part, we are pretty much the same team. Uh, so I'm expecting big things. Uh, I, he made a point of emphasis during media day and this and that about how he's going to really focus more on the defensive side of things, kind of get back to his all NBA type of caliber defense that he had in San Antonio when he led the league in steals, yada, yada, yada. So um, I'm not expecting like a huge, massive point per game outburst. I think he could still give us like 20 to 21 points a game. But as long as he's playing like elite perimeter defense and still playmaking, giving us, you know, six, seven, eight assists a night, then I'll take it. I'll take it. Whatever wins games at this point. For me, Andrew, I don't care about individual stats as long as this team is winning. It's, it's whatever works. Game. If it's working, I'm not going to complain is, is where exactly. you're at right now. Does, so I noticed this from game one that Quint staggered them a bit, a bunch. And then honestly, the fourth quarter run that the the Hornets made was with Trey on the bench. Now I, I want to point out, I'm very intrigued how the Knicks defend Jalen Johnson. Cause it was also when Jalen Johnson was on the bench, but does, is that a thing? Like he's going to stagger them throughout the game and basically have his elite an elite point guard an all-star point guard on the floor at all times. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, it's tough to say because I, I, game one, it could have very but easily just been. I'm saying back to last year, the 20 games after the break, did he stagger them? And is that something you think he's going to do during the season? He didn't stagger them as much. Uh, hmm. Nate McMillan did. But then when Quinn took over, um, he didn't really. I don't remember him staggering Trey and DeJounte all that much. I noticed that in game one where like, especially like in the first quarter, Trey was the first sub out and they kept, they kept DeJounte and a few other people, but yeah, Trey was one of the first or second people subbed out um, in that first substitution. So I, I think Quinn is just tinkering, seeing what works, what doesn't, especially right now, we don't really have a, I guess, solidified backup point guard at the moment. Mm. So I think by that, you kind of just have to have at least one of those two players on the court at all times. So I'm, I'm excited to see, you know, it's much like you. I don't know what Quinn's going to do. Um, so we'll see what happens. We'll see. Now, there's two things before we get out of here that I want to I want to do with you. The first one, um, I'd like to get to know the other fan base. I didn't do that a lot last year. Um, I more just got like the upcoming. Like, Tell me about the Knicks opponent, and how the season's going. But I want to ask you a specific fan base related question. And whereas I have no idea where the Hawks would fall in this conversation for Knicks fans. Uh, teams that Hawks fans hate, hate the most, like the games you circle on the calendar, give me the top three, the three biggest rivals or most hated teams by Hawks fans. Hmm. And if it's the Knicks, like that's fine, you know? Yeah, I mean, honestly, I mean, I, I don't know many other teams that would take that. I mean, I think Knicks could comfortably be top three just because it's always just a fun little uh, good banter, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, like personally, for me, I like when when the Knicks talk trash the most. Like when other teams talk trash, it's just like lame and stupid. Mm-hmm. Uh, at least Knicks fans, like y'all, are funny at least, right? So when you when you like you know make a joke or something, I I at least chuckle at most of them. So I personally prefer like beefing with Knicks fans just because they're they're funny at least. Uh, some other rivalries. I mean, honestly, I I really dislike the Heat. I probably mm-hmm. dislike the Heat more than uh more than the Knicks just because they're just super arrogant super arrogant all about like you know the hashtag heat culture bullshit whatever mm-hmm. um and they talked a lot of trash uh two seasons ago when we matched up with them in round one so I'd say the heat for me is is up there and then honestly uh I also really hate the Celtics like and, and this yeah really? thanks back wow. to like 
the 08, it, this started back since like 08, right? When we, we were the eight mm-hmm. seed, Celtics were the one seed, and we pushed them to seven games. And, you know, the famous, infamous, you know, Zaza Pachulia quote, nothing easy. So, yeah, I mean, I, and ever since then, I've just hated Celtics fans. Um, so, yeah, for me, it would be probably Celtics number one, Heat, and then Knicks, I guess, would be like the third. So the Heat, I get, they're a division rival. And maybe this is just an Atlantic division thing, but so the heat end up being my number one, because it's like, I grew up in the nineties and the, the infamous Alonzo morning, Patrick Ewing battles and like the, the fight that happened in 97 and then like the eighth seed getting there in 99, like there's been playoff battles between the Knicks and heat that I just, I, be, I became a Knicks fan through them, which is why last season's exit if it if there was anything that could damper how fun last year was a Knicks fan, it was getting eliminated by this miracle run that the Heat were on. Um, so, I'm, I'm, is there no real division rivalry for for the Hawks? I know you mentioned the Heat, but like the other teams, there's no beef there. Honestly, for me, no. Like, yeah, the Heat would definitely be the closest thing to like a, a divisional a, a rivalry. Um, for a very small period of time, it was like you know the the, the Wizards um, back okay. when they had. Yeah, you know, but I would even... It matched up in the playoffs a few times, right? Like, yeah, they're in the arena years, yeah. They they beat us, I think, one year. They they beat us one year, and it was either the first or the second round. But outside of that, I think we pretty much handled them every time we've played them in the playoffs. So The year the Hawks won 60, the second round was against the... Yeah, that was Hawks. against the Wizards. Right. And then, the Wizards, yeah, yeah, yeah. Paul Pierce had that, like, crazy bank game winner, and... Uh, and they, yeah, they tied it up, but yeah, luckily we, we were able to close it out in six against them. Um, so yeah, I mean, I can't really think of any other rivalries, honestly. Um, I personally like this is off the record, but like they, these guys aren't even rivals, but my most probably hated franchise in the NBA is definitely the Raptors personally for me. <laughs> uh, and I'll tell you why Andrew and all you, you know, listeners out there. So the I want I want to clear. Hold on, before you get into this, you set off the record on a lot on a podcast that's being recorded. So like, oh sorry, sorry. Just I, a I, reminder I, that this is very on the record. This is on the record. <laughs> this is on the record. That's okay. all right. Let's hear it. The Raptors talk trash and they they walk around like they're the Lakers or something, right? And they had they're this historic team, but then they're just they're a terrible team they for the pretty much for the entirety of their franchise outside of when Kawhi Leonard saved them you know saved that team and basically gifted them a wing a ring um they they've been pretty mediocre right you know all those years with um DeMar DeRozan and Kyle Lowry and this and that where they would essentially never make it past the second round i think they made it to the ECF once that year or in that era but the I just don't understand where the arrogance comes from, Andrew. I, I don't know why they talk as if they're like the, the top three greatest NBA franchises of all time. It blows my mind. Um, you know, I've been to Canada before, you know, in person, Canadians are super nice. I, I like it. I think Canada is a beautiful country. But NBA Twitter Raptors fans, they're they're something else, man. They it's crazy. I, I haven't had many run-ins with uh Ask Sean. So Sean I know, believe me, I've, I know Sean has had many run-ins with Raptors fans. So I've I've heard about Club Six Nine and how uh, how arrogant Raptors fans have been. Um, my I dated a Canadian for two years in college, so I I am aware of how hostile Canadians can be if they want it when they want to be. Uh, so I I'll I'll 
vouch for your distaste for for people north of the border. Although RJ Barrett's on my team and I don't hate him anymore. I like Canadians. I like Canadians. So Canadians are cool. It's yeah. when they're Raptors fans. It's, it's Raptors fans Raptors specifically. Fan. Yeah. Okay. It, it, it blows my mind. It's crazy. Gotcha. Gotcha. I shouldn't have said anymore. I don't know if I ever hated RJ Barrett, by the way. And that leads to my last question because I, I I know someone's going to clip that. It's like, you don't hate him anymore, right? Because RJ has, speaking of hives, um, and speaking of Canadian hives, uh, he has a loyal following, and I hope he does good things this year. Your assessment of the Knicks. I, I, it's maybe a loaded question, but your thoughts, Alex, on the Knicks and what they've done over the last year. I, and reminder, you're with me. You're not, you're not arguing with someone that has like Emmanuel Quickly in his Twitter avatar. You're, <laughs> you're talking to me here. What's your yeah, thoughts right. on the Knicks and projecting for what they could be this year? No, on, like, honestly, no trolling aside. I mean, I think the Knicks are good, right? I, I definitely think they're a, a playoff-worthy team. I think they will be a top six seed. At least, at, like, I think they'll at least definitely be, like, a top seven seed. Um, I don't know how far you guys are going to go in the playoffs, though. Like, I think Jalen Brunson, like, I wasn't as high on Jalen Brunson when you guys made the move initially last year mm-hmm. um, because – I just didn't think Jalen Brunson was all that great, but he proved me wrong. I'm, I'm going to eat crow and admit like Jalen Brunson was a really, really, really good player for y'all last year. And I was um, very surprised to be honest, but yeah, Jalen Brunson balled out. I think he's definitely like your clear cut number one best player. Um, and then Julius Randall, like when I look at the team, like Julius Randall, in my opinion, is probably the second best player, right? On the Knicks. Um, mm-hmm. and, and there'll be some nights where he looks like an all NBA type of player. He's doing all these crazy things and, and he's getting buckets for you guys. And it's like, wow, Julius Randall looks like a top three, top four power forward in the NBA. And then there's other nights where uh, he looks like he's like a G league player and, and he's not putting <laughs> in the effort and he's not getting back on defense. So, and trust me, I know I'm probably preaching to the choir. I know Knicks fans, have had that Julius Randle experience where, you know, half the, half the fans like really love him and half the fans hate him. They want to ship him off to Timbuktu. I don't know. Um, <laughs> and then the, the, where things get a little scary for me is like that third best player, right? Like who's the number three option. Um, and I might get slack for this, but like, I, I don't see it with RJ Barrett. Like I genuinely think he is like, if I had to rate him on NBA 2K, he would be like a 78, 79 type of player for me, right? Like he's not terrible. That good or bad? I, I have no idea. I haven't played 2K in years, unfortunately. Okay, so uh, oh, um, how would I make that comparison? Well, so, so like, I, what he, what's Jalen Brunson? What's what's what are Julius and and Jalen Brunson? Okay, so Jalen Brunson. All right, I'll, I'll do a letter letter grading then, not the number. So like Jalen Brunson for me would be like a, um, like a super high B plus type of player, right? Maybe okay. even A minus. Maybe you can even put him in the A minus realm. Julius Randle's like a B minus, probably B minus type of player. And then you have RJ Barrett, who's just a C. Like he's not a C plus. He's not a C minus. He is just a straight up C. Um, he's not horrible, but he's not that good in my opinion. Um, so yeah, that that's where I think if, if you guys can upgrade at the, at, the three and like find someone a little bit better than RJ Barrett. I think you guys are, will start cooking. And I also think I, I maybe it is Julius's Randall time. I don't know, but I think Jalen Brunson's really good. Um, dare I say like he's borderline. I mean, he, he's an all-star caliber player. If, if he replicates the type of season he had last year, he's like an all-star caliber player. Um, so 
I think the Knicks are going to be top, top six seed, top seven seed at worst. And um, I think you guys definitely have the capabilities to win round one, depending on who you play. I will say I've been hyping you guys up for the past five minutes. So this is where my, my negative, I guess, pessimistic side goes. You guys played the Cavs, right? So I think that was a little bit of a gimme round. I'm happy you guys won. Mm. Um, Number one defense in the league is a gimme round. Second best net rating in the league was a gimme round. Yeah, in the regular season. But again, they're super young, you know, um, besides Donovan Mitchell. Like, you know, that was Darius Garland's first playoff run. That was, uh, you know, Evan Mobley's first playoff run, et cetera. Quite literally, the Knicks did what the Hawks did to us a couple of years ago. Yeah, pretty much. much. Went in five in the same pattern, too, and won it in five. Granted, I thought Cleveland was going to put a lot more of a fight. um, So did we, believe me. I had had Knicks in six, and I was like a hesitant Nixon six. And yeah. by the time game four rolled around, I was like, oh, they're they're gonna win this thing in five games. You know? I think in the regular season, like I wouldn't be surprised if, if the Knicks had a regular better regular season than us. I, I think ultimately though, like where both of our teams are at, Andrew, I think like second round is like pretty much like the ceiling for us, right? I, I don't know. We'll see. Unless this team just shows me something completely different under Quinn Snyder, then I, maybe, but where I see it now, I think like second rounds kind of like the cap. You mentioned the tiers. I'm not I'm not confident enough to be like in a seven game series, the Knicks would beat the Celtics or beat the the uh Bucks. I think they would win a couple games. We saw it on opening night with the Knicks. Jalen Brunson and Julius Randle shot a combined eleven for forty three. Uh, they missed 12 free throws. They were 14 to 26. They got some bullshit calls in the fourth quarter. Like the, the, the whistle going against them was so confusing for Madison Square Garden that I, I, I'm actually like still annoyed by it a day later. And they only lost by four points. That was a tie game with a minute and a half left. So like that's the the testament. I was saying this last night in our post game. Like the testament of a Tibbs team is like so much can go wrong. But because of how hard they're playing and how disciplined they are and how fight how much fight they're 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 putting out each night, they're gonna be in almost every game. Um, it's when you're looking for a creative playoff offense that you may have to, you know, bite the bullet with Tibbs. However, um, I'm curious to see how this this plays out in a matchup against the Hawks on on Friday night. And before I, I officially send you farewell, um, you went through your analysis of the Knicks without mentioning Emmanuel quickly. That's the third best player on the Knicks. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I completely forgot. Right. Like, I think yeah. IQ definitely has like six man of the year capabilities. Right. Like, I think he's really solid. Um, completely forgot about IQ. Yeah. I mean, I, w- I would say IQ is definitely your, your third best player, like hands down. Um, I would even dare to say, like, I, I didn't watch uh, y'all's game last night. So I, I don't know if I'm going off last year. Like, yeah, I would even say. Actually, no, I'm not going to say that. But yeah, IQ, third best player. Absolutely. Were you going to go to second best player? Because there's no world he's the second best player. No, no, no. no. I was going to, I'm trying to think of another player, like even that's better than RJ, like as like your fourth best player. So let me, let me address the RJ thing. There's no world that you can defend RJ's regular season last year as like, actually, when you look at it this way, it was no, like it was really bad. He had this eight game stretch in the playoffs. That was this fully realized, like what you've been wanting him to do, finishing at the rim, passing on these rim reads as well on like the pick and roll navigation was outstanding. And it was like, finally, like this is what we've been wanting RJ Barrett to be for the first four seasons. And there's a hope that something clicked. I don't, I don't care about FIBA. FIBA. I just don't like it. These games, 
do not translate to the NBA as far as I'm yeah. concerned. There are more recruiting opportunities as far as I go. But there are people that saw how good he was at FIBA and were like, okay, like RJ Barrett, he's officially good. Mm-hmm. Um, I have at least now wiped the slate clean with him that he can be their fourth best player. And if RJ Barrett's your fourth best player, that version of him is your fourth best player. You're going to win a lot of games. So you're right, though. And I agree about the the second round ceiling. That's where that's where I am with the Knicks. I have them hopefully losing in the second round. Well, not hopefully. I hope they win the title. But like, realistically, I would sign up right now for a second round exit. And then they'll potentially go star hunting. So we'll see. Yeah. That's actually the last question I was going to ask you, because every fan base has their one like star trade star target that they they want i know the season just started so you're you're we're both fine with our rosters but who's the one guy that hawks fans in particular maybe you in particular have been like you know we're gonna do this season and then we're gonna go get blank like who is it well i i mean this is completely unrealistic this is like in a perfect world but i've been beating this drum for like years now but like literally a trey young and Giannis pick and roll would be the most like broken overpowered thing you could ever think of in, in nba history in my opinion uh-huh. so yes I mean, Giannis at any point guard pick and roll which you're gonna see it with uh well, yeah like especially Trey you know? going, you're like like literally the best pick and roll yes, point guard yes. in the league um i think it would just be like if you just span that all all night, um, it would just be unstoppable. So yeah, my my like dream trade scenario is Giannis. Um, I'm still also like happy with Joel Embiid. I don't think Joel Embiid can be your number one option or like the alpha of your team, but I think Trey Young can take Joel under the wing and you know pull out some of that gamer mentality because uh, we all know Joel is kind of soft. You know he's super soft, especially in the postseason, um, and he just needs that kind of like fire lit under his ass. You know. So Trey Young is going to be the alpha on a team with Joel Embiid. Look, the only time they've ever played each other when it matters uh-huh. in the postseason, Trey Young got the best of them. Um, or did Joel Embiid's teammate decide not to shoot the basketball when he was in the dunker spot? Hey, it's it's a lot of you know he like says, I know says, what you're doing scoreboard like I get it. <laughs> like, know, no there was a there. lot of variables, Andrew. A lot of variables um, that that you know could be said both ways. Like if what what if uh, the 76ers never had um, Seth Curry like have literally the the best six game stretch of his entire human mm-hmm. existence? Like it wouldn't it could have been like a gentleman sweep. I don't know. And um, so there's a lot of what ifs, right? I think a lot of lucky things happened to, to Philly as well. As I mentioned, like that Seth Curry performance where he's never played that well in a stretch of like four to five games ever for his life um, and a few other things. Um, so we'll see. I mean, Joel Embiid, again, been in the league longer than Trey, never made it past the second round. Um, and yeah, I think Joel has a tendency to fold come postseason. The folding accusations are just something he's going to have to beat, like get to a second round, so no one mentions it. Get to well, a third like, round, so no one mentions it. Give him Andrew. Like he's. I think it was going to have to take a next team. I I do think there's been some incompetence with his organization as as well. Like the 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 teammates that like I will say last year was the year that I was actually like all right Joel like you're up three two and you got game six at home like this is something an MVP wins this game and closes the series out um and we saw what happened especially that game seven where they were literally attacking Embiid in pick and rolls and it's like wow you're the you're the MVP of the league getting attacked in game seven that's not a not a good look year before I. James Harden decided he wasn't going to 
he didn't take a, a field goal attempt in game yeah. six of their closeout game. And then the year before that was the, was the ben first, was, was the when they played the, us, the, the Ben Simmons um, malfunction short circuit game. Um, I just, I mean, I think he's elite. I think if you put him in the right organization, he could be even more elite. I recognize he's going to have to just beat the accusations at a certain point or else then he's just going to be Dame for a while. And Dame, it took forever for him to get to a third round. So um, I guess we'll see what happens. Is there any like, like a Siakam or a Paul George or another target that Hawks fans, because you named the MVP and the MV, like a former MVP <laughs> as your targets. For yeah. Um, I, I don't even know, honestly. Like, so Hawks fans are cool with their team, is what you're saying. There's no, maybe no, there's, one there's, there's thing, definitely. You know? I, I still think we need like a third kind of like solidified star, and maybe Jalen Johnson can be that, which is why like I'm, I'm okay with not when, when we didn't pull the trigger on the Pascal trade, mm-hmm. um, because there were still like a lot of question marks around the four spot and this and that. But Jalen, if he reaches his potential, I think he could definitely be like that third best player. But I think we ultimately do need to upgrade at the three, right? Like DeAndre Hunter. Um, and I'm sure Knicks fans are very familiar with DeAndre Hunter, same draft class as RJ. And, and I know they've had similar comparisons, right? Um, but, you know, DeAndre Hunter, fourth overall pick, former fourth overall pick. And um, he's like the prototypical, like every three, three and D type of player like that, that fits the mold, right? Big, long, athletic, strong. Um, but he's just, I, I don't know, like he just hasn't lived up to his potential, uh, maybe Quinn Snyder can unlock something, but he's he's fairly old now. Like I think he's 26 or 27, something like that. Um, may, maybe a little younger actually, but he's going into year five, uh, and I feel like he just is what he is at this point. Um, so if if anything, I think that small forward position probably needs the biggest upgrade, whether it be someone like Paul George or who, whoever. Um, but we'll, we'll see. We'll see, and we'll see how the Hawks look in the, this matchup against the Knicks on Friday night. Uh, Alex, as always, thank you for making some time for me, my friend, uh, before you get out of here to, uh, to a bunch of bunch of New Yorkers and Knicks fans around the world. Tell us where we can find your stuff. Yes, sir. Yeah. You can find us uh, all of our written content at www.hawksfantv.com. Uh, and then all of our socials, Instagram, Twitter, um, TikTok at Hawks fan TV. So yeah, it, we're very active on Twitter as Andrew, you know, knows like I'm, I'm tweeting every single day. Um, and, and yeah, I'd like to get under people's skin. That's just kind of, I think that's what Twitter is for. <laughs> I think uh, you, everyone should have some, some fun on, on the bird app. So you can find us at Hawks fan TV. Uh, and yeah, I appreciate you having me on. Do you recognize that, there are people that don't think you're just having fun. Some like when you're doing it to have fun, like what's, what's going through your mind? We're like, Oh, they think I'm serious. Like, I, I think it's hilarious to, okay. to be honest. Like I, I feel like, and then there's some tweets where I feel like this is overly like sarcastic and exaggerated. Like there's no way someone can, can believe this. Like I, I made a tweet the other day when Victor Wembayana had a, a really good preseason and it was towards the end of preseason. And I said, like, Victor reminds me of Trey Young, but just taller, right? Just like completely joking, <laughs> um, just completely joking. And people actually thought I was serious. Um, but like, hey, it's Twitter I'm verified and, and we, we get paid for engagement. So why not? Might as well. There you go. Alex, thank you for coming by, my man. Of course. Thank you for having me. Once again, a big thank you to Alex for coming on today's show. Hawks Fan TV, if you want to stay in tune 
to the vibes and the mood and the complaints of Hawks fans. Uh, Hawks fan TV is the place to go. All of the socials that he mentioned, um, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, you name it. Uh, Alex, wish you the best of luck in everything except Friday night's game, which tips off at 730 against the Atlanta Hawks on MSG for all of us here or at State Farm Arena if you're down in Atlanta. Um, I recognize I never said the connections between these two teams. There's an obvious one, the playoff series that happened three years ago in which the Knicks lost in five games. Some narratives that came out of that series that Trey Young owns the Knicks. He's under 500 against the Knicks in his career. Um, Julius Randle can't, is, is the baby of the Hawks. He has to call them daddy. Well, in the regular season... Julius Randle has owned the Atlanta Hawks. In fact, in 20 games in his career against the Hawks, he's averaging 23.7 points per game. So almost 24 a game, 10.1 rebounds, 3.8 assists on 49, 41, 81 splits. Uh, it's a 61% effect, uh, true shooting, I should say. Um, plus six uh, in his net rating uh, on off, I should say. Uh he has absolutely owned the Atlanta Hawks. There's only one team he's averaging more points per game uh, against in his career. And it's the Los Angeles Lakers in eight fewer games. Um, there's only two teams he's scored more points against in his career. That's the Lakers. Uh, excuse me, not the Lakers, the Dallas Mavericks and the Philadelphia 76ers. Uh, so yeah, let's, let's hope that as poor as his shooting was in game one, he's now facing a team that he usually performs against in game two. Uh, and that'll be a recipe for success. That'll do it for me. If you dig the show, head over to iTunes, drop a five-star rating and review. I will be back on Saturday with another pregame pod looking ahead to the matchup against the Pelicans. Um, I should also add going forward that I'm going to do my best to make sure this show drops exactly 12 hours before tip. So you'll probably notice this episode dropped at 7.30 a.m. because the Knicks tip off at 7.30 for the Hawks game, for the Pelicans game. It will drop Saturday morning at 7 a.m. So you will have exactly 12 hours to listen to our preview of the upcoming matchup or against whoever the next opponent is. So I will do my very best to make sure that happens every time. Sometimes you run into some scheduling things where I have to do an interview that's less than 12 hours before the game, but I will, I will aim to uh, make sure this is uh, available for you so you have at least 12 hours to listen. Until next time, thank you for listening. Enjoy the game tonight, and I will speak with you soon. Peace.